All right. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, Today, I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. It's one of those Old Testament books, kind of near the front of your Bible. Uh, So Nehemiah chapter 8, it comes after Ezra. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we will begin. As you saw, we are uh, beginning a new series this week entitled Align, A Church Aligned with God's Will. And and over the last six months, you know, as our our church has has faced a a lot of difficulties, Uh, not only are we facing a, a worldwide pandemic with with COVID, but you know, there's been disagreement, there's been disunity in our church, and, and as a church, we need to seek revitalization, we need to seek revival, and, and for those reasons, today we are going to begin this new series, the line, a church aligned with God's will, and if we're going to seek revitalization, if we're going to seek revival in our church and be a light to the city, if we're going to be a church that is in community and on mission for Jesus, making disciple, making disciples of all peoples, then, then we have to be a church that is aligned with God's will. And over the next several months, we are going to explore what that looks like, what that means for us, how we can be a church that is aligned with God's will. And, and this morning, we are going to start at the foundation. We're going to start with God's word. And so Nehemiah 8 is our text this morning. Hopefully you have found your place there. I won't read the entire text, but but I am going to read a portion of it to get us started, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shammai, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right hand and Pedadiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jemain, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaha, Kelatai, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, these are Levites, <clears throat> helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day, (coughs) excuse me, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. 
is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as the church to open your word and, and to learn from it, Lord. And God, as we begin this new series this week, we ask that, that you would help us to be a church that is indeed aligned with your will, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure that most of you have flown on an airplane at some point or another in your life. Personally, I, I didn't fly until I was in my late teens, early 20s. And, and uh, I, I, was, I was afraid to board an airplane. You know, there was something about, you know, flying hundreds of miles an hour, thousands of feet off of the ground in this steel can that... That scared me, if you, could, if you could imagine that. And while it took me a while to board a plane, I, I finally gave in. And I probably should remember the first flight that I took because it was such a significant part of my life, but, but I don't remember that first flight. I don't remember the destination to which I flew. But, but what I do remember is being attentive to all of the rules and the regulations that the airline had put out there. As the flight attendant came over the loudspeaker, I listened closely to what they had to say. I, I responded to everything that they told me to do. I, I stowed my carry-on, uh, you know, in the overhead above me. I put my, my carry-on there in, or my, my extra bag, you know, in the, in the seat uh, uh, in front of me, you know. Um, I turned off my electronic devices. I put my phone on airplane mode. I, I put my, my seat back up. I put on my seatbelt. I was ready for my first flight. I did everything that, that I was supposed to do, and I was trusting that the pilot was going to do everything that he was supposed to do in order to get us to our destination safely. Now, since then, I have, I have flown too many times to count, and every time I, I board a plane, I respond in the same way. Sometimes at the prodding of the flight attendant, right? We, we don't like to put our seat backs up, you know. It's, it's, it's just really crowded when you do that. But, but most of the time, I do it willingly. And in the same way that passengers on a plane are respond rightly to the flight attendant, we should respond rightly to God. As Christians, we should, and, and I would bet that many of you who would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, does respond rightly to God. You do desire to live according to his will. And Jesus responded rightly to the Father's will. And as followers, we must, we must desire to respond rightly to God's will as well. But, but if we are honest, even though there might be this desire to respond rightly, even though we might just respond rightly on, on many occasions, there are times when we run contrary to God's will. There are times when, when we don't align with God's will. That might be because you simply don't know God's will. Maybe you just became a believer in Jesus, and, and you're just beginning your walk with Jesus, and, and it is difficult for you because you don't know God's will. You desire to follow His will, but, but you just don't know it. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, 
you've come to church your entire life and, and the reason that you don't know and you don't live according to God's will is because you busy yourself with, with church stuff. And let me just say, if, if that is you, thank you. Thank you for your service. But you have to do more than just busy yourself with church work. Or maybe you're the type who studies. You read through the Bible every single year. You attend Sunday service. You attend Sunday school. You attend Bible study. You are gathering together with other people throughout the week. You, you've even got maybe some commentaries at home that, that you are reading through. But even though you're saturating yourself with God's Word, your, your life is, is not changing. And for you, God's Word might be just an intellectual exercise. You run to God's Word for the intellectual challenge that, that it presents. Or maybe you are changing, but from time to time you you slip back into your old way of life. Now, I would bet that, that you know, you probably fall, fall into one of those categories. And so what should you do in order to align yourself with God's will? How should you do that personally? How do we do that as a church? How does a church align itself with God's will so that it desires and responds rightly to God's will? Well, our text is going to answer that question Nehemiah 8 is where we're at again. And, and to set the context, many people have returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. If you remember, they had been you know, exiled out of the land. Seventy years they spent in Babylon. Now, here comes King Cyrus. He is over Babylon. In the first year of King Cyrus's reign, he, he, the, the Lord comes to him and he says, Hey, I want you to build a temple for me. And I want you to build a temple back in Jerusalem. And so he, he allows these folks to go back to Jerusalem to build a temple to the Lord. And, you know, when we get to this point in Nehemiah, that the temple has been built. And, and also at, at, the, at the urging of, of Nehemiah, the wall around the city has been built. So they've got a temple, they've got a wall, they've got people living in Jerusalem now. And then we come to, to verse 8, and we learn in verse 8 that this is, I mean, in chapter 8, that this is the, the seventh month. And the seventh month was an important month. You know, we're not Jews, so we don't really follow those, those calendars. But, but the seventh month was a, was a really important month. It began with the Feast of, of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets marked the beginning of the new agricultural year. It was a, it was a, it was a feast that was dedicated to the Lord for what he was going to provide for them that year. In the middle of the month comes the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is the day when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would make atonement for the nation's sins. And then the month ends with the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And this was an opportunity for the people to remember all the ways in which God had provided for the Israelites as they walked for 40 years in the wilderness. And so this was the month that they were in. And the Jews were gathered together in Jerusalem at the beginning of this month to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. And the gathering teaches us that God's people should desire to hear God's Word. Amen. Apparently Ezra, he's, he's a priest, he's, he's a scribe, he understood the law, he had this teaching ministry prior to rebuilding the wall, and now that the wall was rebuilt, uh, they had to take some time off, you know, to build the wall. Um, now the wall is rebuilt, the people are gathered. They desire, again, to hear God's word. 
And we know they desired to hear God's word because starting in verse 1, it says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women who, uh, and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And so not only did they desire to hear the word of the Lord, but, but they also obeyed the word. In verse 1 again, And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of the Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now I point this out because it's significant. The Lord had commanded that every seven years the book of the law would be read to the people. Now why every seven years? Well, every seven years was a sabbatical year. It's called a, a year of release. The land was to lay fallow, debts were canceled, and Hebrew slaves were to be released. And this is significant because the people are not only celebrating the Lord's goodness, they're not only celebrating the, the Day of Atonement that month, they're not only celebrating all the provisions that God has made for them in the wilderness during that month as well, but, but they're also celebrating a release from, from dead. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine this as you? You've been a slave for the last seven years to pay off some debt that, that you just you couldn't pay off on your own. And this year comes and you are, you're released from your bondage or or maybe you have a debt that you have been paying on and, and this debt is, is now canceled. I mean, imagine what is going through the minds of these people at this time. Thankfulness, gratitude, release from anxiety, restoration of, of goods and, and property. As they, as they gathered together with one another here before the water gate, all these people, there's this mood and, and this air of, of celebration that is taking place. They looked forward to hearing God's word, and they even built a platform for that purpose, asking Ezra to, to deliver that word to them. The people wanted to hear God's word, and that should be the case for us as well. We should desire to hear God's word, Amen. to receive instruction, and we should make preparation for receiving the word. Now, how do we do that? How do we make preparation for receiving the word. Well, one way that we make preparation for receiving the word is, is you know, to have a, have a church building, a place in which we gather together weekly to, to hear the word. And we've been blessed with, with a nice church building where we can gather together. There's, there's a pulpit for me to preach from. There are seats for you to sit in so that you might hear the word and, and worship. But, but a church building is, is really just a, a tool for us to do ministry. It's just a tool for us, just like this wooden platform was a tool for Ezra to stand on. The church building is a tool for us to do ministry, to, to learn more about God's Word, to minister to the community around us. It gives us a space in which we could gather. But there are other spaces that, that we could use as tools. There are other spaces that, that we could gather, right? I mean, you, you could use your house in that way. You could gather at, at the coffee shop or, or a local restaurant with other people to, to hear and, and to discuss God's Word. You don't have to come to this building, even though it is a nice building. Uh, you don't have to come to this building to gather together with other people to hear God's Word. There are many spaces that we can prepare 
throughout the week to gather together with other people. But having the space is, is not the only preparation that we need to hear and to respond to God's Word. We also need to prepare our minds and our hearts to hear God's Word. And we could prepare uh, before Sunday by getting adequate sleep on Saturday night. You know, it's really difficult to, to listen. It's really difficult to worship if, if you're tired, if you've been out all night. Um, and, and so getting adequate sleep, going to bed at a reasonable hour is a way that, that you can prepare. Another way that you can prepare to hear the preached word and for Bible study and spaces throughout the week is, is to read, to meditate on, to pray through the text that is going to be explored. You know, I've been trying to send out each week through social media and, and the different ways in which we communicate with the church the, the text that I'm going to preach on. And the reason I do that is so that you can go and you can read that text beforehand. You can begin to, to think about that text so that it's not, just, it's not just fresh when you come and you hear it and you're like, man, what is that word and what is that and what is this? You already have an idea of, of the layout of the text, of the words and the phrases that are being used in there. And, and maybe you write down some questions that you hope to get answered in the message. Maybe you, you write down your own observations. But, but the point is, is that you are taking that text and you are meditating on it, you are reading it, and you are making observations before you even come to hear it, it preached. And in that way, you can prepare to hear the, God's Word. You can be prepared to understand what God's will is and to begin to work that out in your life. And, you know, we should desire God's Word. God's Word is a gift to us from God. I mean, think about it. We have the Word of God in a convenient book form. It is accessible in, in hard copy or, you know, like this bound together in print. Or we even nowadays have it on our digital devices. We can pull it up on our phones anytime that we like, on our computers, wherever. We can pull God's Word up anytime that we like. And it is in a language that we can understand. You don't have to go and learn Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic in order to read God's Word. You have it in English right there. How amazing is that? You don't got to learn another language. You don't have to share a book with someone else. You don't have to, to wait for somebody else to, to read a letter to you out of this or, or to read a portion of the book to you, you know, every seven years or anything like that or, or once a week. We can pick up God's Word any time that we like and we can read it for as long as we have time to do that. And that is simply amazing. And again, this isn't just, this, just any old word. This is God's Word to us. The the creator, the sustainer, the, the all-sovereign king of the universe has given us his word so that we might read it and learn about him, learn about ourselves, learn about the world in which we live, learn what his will is for our life. It's simply amazing. And as God's people, we should desire God's word, the word that he has written to us. And not only should we desire to hear God's word, but but God's people should respond to God's word. Look at verse 3. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of 
the law. Notice that, that the people responded to God's word by listening attentively. The word was important to them. They gave it their full attention, right? They weren't, they weren't scrolling on face waste. They weren't, they weren't liking or, or hearting things on Instagram. They weren't tweeting. They weren't planning out their next TikTok or anything like that, right? They were engaged. They were listening attentively to God's word. And why were they engaged? Why should we be engaged? Because God speaks to us through his word. And when God speaks, we should listen. And not only did they listen attentively, but notice what else they did. Skip down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, the people responded by worshipping God. They were saying, amen, amen. They, they were lifting their hands up. They were bowing their faces to the ground before God. They recognized who it was, who, whose word it was that they were hearing. It was the God of the universe's word. And when other people come into God's presence throughout biblical history, what happens? They don't just hang out and be like, hey God, what's up, man? Yeah, we're cool. No, they, they fall to their face before the Lord in recognition that, that he is the holy God of the universe. They are worshiping the Lord. And we don't know if this was a response to a, a particular section of the law or if this was just a response to the word itself. But, but regardless, the people are worshiping the Lord here. And while their worship in the moment involved them raising their voices, their hands, and, and bowing to the ground, it signaled something more. It signaled a change in them, a response that would result in them humbly following God's will. Their worship was not just lip service or, or posturing, and neither should ours be. Worship is not just something that we do for an hour on Sunday. Worship involves us daily responding to God's will for our entire lives in accordance with God's revealed will in His Word. And the posture of our worship this morning as we raise our hands, as we lift up our voice, as we bow before the Lord in prayer should be the posture of our daily lives. We should live in accordance with God's will, praising God for who He is and humbly walking before Him, recognizing that He is our Creator and that He is our King. He is the all-sovereign God of the universe. And Paul captures this well. This daily worship that, that we should provide well in Romans 12, 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, we worship God daily through the posture of sacrificial service. A sacrificial posture of worship is, is developed by listening attentively to God's Word and then applying it to our lives. Next, we learn that the people responded to God's Word by repenting. And so we pick back up in verse 7, and we see all these names there. I'm going to skip over them. I already read them to you once. Um, but, but these are the Levites, right? These guys are the Levites. They are the priestly class. So we're going to pick up there. The Levites. Help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. 
They read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah was the governor, Ezra was the priest and scribe, and the Levites and who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the Lord. And so Ezra not only read and, and taught the meaning of the book, but, but we have the Levites, the priestly class, who are helping the people to understand the meaning of this. I kind of think about this as like the first sermon-based small group, right? Like Ezra gets up there, he, he preaches, he's delivering the word to the people. And then here are the Levites, they're, they're gathering together smaller groups of people and they're saying, okay, what did you not understand? Or let me tell you more about this. Let me tell you how this applies to our life in our culture, right? Let me tell you what we are to do with this word here. And so the Levites are giving the sense, they're, they're helping the people understand what this word means and how it applies to their life, how they can live it out in their own lives. And the result was mourning and weeping. The people were sad. They, they were brokenhearted. The people here, they are distressed. They, they realized as they got this meaning, as, as they understood how they were supposed to live, that they had broken God's law and that they had sinned against God and they were visibly shaken by their life. And how about you? Does the preached word drive you to mourn over your own sin? Does the preached word drive you to repentance? And repentance is, is just turning from how we are doing things, how we are living, to turn to follow God and His way and His will for our lives. It's saying God is the King and I am not the King. And I'm going to follow the Lord's will for my life. Does the preached word, does the word when you study it drive repentance in your life? Are you turning from following your own will to follow the Lord's will? Does that take place in your life? Or does the word just go in one ear and out the other? Does it, does it roll off, you know, like water on a duck's back? Does it just stop with, with head knowledge and you're like, man, that, that's really cool. Like, I figured out something really neat today in God's word that I want to go and share with, with somebody else. Or does it penetrate deep down into your heart and bring about true change, everlasting change? so that you are now following and living according to God's will. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, God's word will drive you to respond in repentance for the ways in which you have failed to live according to God's will. And while God's word should drive repentance in the believer, it shouldn't drive despair. Instead, we should respond to God's word by celebrating. And this is what the priests are trying to help the folks to do. Verse 9 again, And Nehemiah was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites taught the people. And they said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the Lord. And then they said, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing 
because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You see, while repentance is necessary, it shouldn't cause despair. I mean, sin is awful. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is us storming God's throne room and saying, I want to sit on the throne of my life. I don't want you to sit there. Sin is terrible. It is awful. It grieves God. It deserves his wrath. But, and this is significant, for those who are God's people, we need not fear his wrath. The priests point to the day as a holy day. Indeed, it was. It was, it was the Feast of Trumpets. Not only that, but the entire month was actually a holy month. They were going to celebrate the Day of Atonement. They were going to celebrate the Festival of Booths. And these festivals point to God's redemption of his people. It points to God's provision of his people. And so if we are God's people, we need not despair. We can celebrate God's joy and God's work in our life because it brings God joy to bring repentance and redemption to his people. It is his strength when he brings the people out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt, and, and he creates this nation out of all of the people, and he, and he provides for them in the wilderness. And then the Day of Atonement is established where the Passover lamb is then sacrificed for the people. All of these things point to the day when Christ would come, and Christ would sacrifice himself for our sins. The wrath of God would be poured out on Christ on our behalf. It would be placed on Him. And so those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior believe that Jesus has taken the sin and has taken the punishment that we deserve, that, that we can't work our way to God, that we can't earn favor with God. Those who believe that experience salvation in Jesus. And when we sin, yes, we should mourn, we should be grieved, but we should not be, it should not bring us to a point of despair. Amen. Because we know, we know that we have a Savior. And we know that Jesus is that Savior. And He has provided for us. He has provided redemption and salvation for us. Our God is not a God who desires to destroy us. Instead, our God is a God who is bent towards mercy and grace. And all of those who have repented of their sins, who trust in Jesus as their sacrifice on their behalf and turn to God's will, can and should celebrate his grace and his mercy when they sin because Jesus has taken God's wrath on their behalf. Now, this does not mean that we should abuse God's grace, right? Paul makes this clear in the book of Romans chapter 6. We have grace. It has been given to us. God's mercy has been poured out upon us, has been lavished upon us. And we can celebrate that, but we should not celebrate sin and we should not run to sin at all, right? We, we should be grieved by our sin. And so the next time you hear the word and are driven to repent, don't, respect, don't despair. Instead, celebrate the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness, and the steadfast love of the Lord for providing for you according to his word, so that you might have an opportunity to repent. Another way in which we should respond to God's word is by seeking to understand. So look at verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers, so this, this is after all this took place. They, they leave, they celebrate. Here comes the second day. Second day, the heads of the fathers of the houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe 
in order to study the words of the law. All the people had gathered the day before, but, but here comes back the heads, right? The leaders. They're coming back the second day, and they're coming back to study God's word. And if God is our Father and Jesus is our Savior, and if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we should desire to learn more about God's Word. And that should be especially true for those of us who are leaders. And men, by default, you are a leader. You are a leader of your family. If you are a Christian, you are de facto the spiritual leader of your house. You cannot abdicate that responsibility to your wives like so many men do. We have to lead our wives. We have to lead our children. You should, as Moses says in verses in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you should lead your family teaching them God's word. But here's the thing. You cannot lead your family to follow God's word and to follow God's will if you don't know God's word and you don't know God's will yourself. And so you've got to gather together with other people to study scripture. And not just by yourself. There should certainly be times when we are studying God's word by ourselves. But men, we have to gather together with other men who desire to be the the spiritual leaders of their family in order to learn God's word in community with one another. We've got to make that a regular habit. And that's what these men did here. And that's what we must do as well. And as they gathered together with one another, they made this discovery, and this is going to be the last response we look at today, and it led them to follow God's will. So look at verse 14. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem and go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And so as they read, they studied, they discovered, hey, we're supposed to be keeping the Festival of Booths. And guess what? The Festival of Booths is at the end of this month. We've got time in order to do this. And so then they spread this word and the people, they they go and they gather all of these things together and then they begin to keep the Festival of Booths, remembering the Lord's redemption that he had provided for those in, in, in Israel as they were brought out of Egypt and, and how he provided for them for 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. And just as the Israelites responded in obedience when they learned God's will, we should as well. As we study Scripture, we're inevitably going to, to come across texts that we haven't read before. We're at, the text is inevitably going to land on us differently. We're going to hear the preached word. We're going to go to Bible study. We're going to learn something. We are going to learn something new. I hope that you learn something new when you come and you hear the word on Sunday. I hope that you learn something new when you gather together with other people in community. And, and what we have to do then is we've got to take that and we've got to begin applying that to our lives. You see, studying Scripture should not just be an intellectual exercise. You know, I, I know that, that when, we read through, when we read through Scripture, we, we've got like the letter of Paul, you know, all of his letters. And, and Paul can be hard to understand at times, right? And, and it might be fun to work through those letters and try to figure out what Paul is saying. But you have to know 
that all the letters that are written in the New Testament, all of those are written from a pastoral perspective to the church so that they might then begin to work that out in their life. And the same thing should be for us. We should obey God's word. Now, we don't obey God's word to earn his favor. We don't obey God's word to, to, to try to pay for our, our sins. We don't obey God's word out of, out of fear of punishment, right? I mean, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Jesus has, has already earned God's favor for us as we are connected to him. Jesus has already taken our punishment for us. Instead, we obey out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ as well as we obey because we recognize that God's will is what's best for us. Oftentimes we, we have non-Christians and they say, well, man, I don't want to become a Christian. Like, it's no fun being a Christian. Like, you guys live by this old antiquated book and you can't go out and you can't do anything, right? This is this objection that, that people have to Christianity. But here's the deal. God has given us his word, the God of, God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And as we obey God's word and as we apply it to our life, God is actually telling us how he purposed for us to live. And when we live according to his purpose, when we live according to the way in which he has designed, things actually go well for us. We, we actually find purpose and meaning in life. And so it's not that, that God gives us this so that we can't have any fun. God gives us this because he loves us more than anything else. And so he gives us his word, which tells us his will for our life so that we might live with meaning and purpose. And church, if we're going to be a church that is aligned with God's will, then we must be a church that desires and responds to God's word. And if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see revitalization, we must be aligned with God's will, desiring and responding rightly to his word. We must respond both individually and corporately, right? God's word must do a work in our hearts individually so that we are changing, and God's word must do a work in our church so that, so that we are changing as a community. It must inform our doctrine. It must inform our practice. It must inform all of those things so that we are operating in alignment with God's will and responding rightly to God's word. And so church, as we begin this series, we just challenge you, we encourage you to, to, to align yourself with God's will, Amen. to align yourself with God's will. Let it inform you. Let it teach you. Let it guide you. Let it revive you. Let it drive you to be a light to this community for Jesus so that we live as a church that is in community and on mission for Jesus, making disciple, making disciples of all peoples. Let's be a church that is aligned with God's will. And that's how you can respond this morning. You can respond by, by purposing to align yourself with God's will. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you can respond in that way. If you're a believer, then, then you should certainly respond in that way. You should have that desire so that, so that we might corporately be a church that is aligned with God's will. But, but if you are not a believer, you can also respond by turning to Jesus. You've heard the gospel message that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And you can align yourself with God's will by turning to Jesus in repentance and belief and believing that he indeed is the Savior who has paid the price for your sins. And so let's align ourselves with God's will. Let's begin doing that today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching that it provides us. Lord, we thank you that you call us to be a church that is aligned with your will and you give us what your will is in your word. And God, we pray as we begin this series that that would, that would be the case, that we would be a church that aligns with your will as we continue to study your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.